Good morning and God bless you. So good to see you here. So good to gather around God's word with God's people in God's house on God's day. Amen. It really is. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in the book of Exodus. Last week we were in Genesis. This week we're in Exodus. Perhaps next week or the week after we'll be in Leviticus. We'll read chapter 32, Exodus 32. I'll read verses 1 through 6. We'll refer to a whole incident and we'll call this false worship of the true God. False worship of the true God. I could subtitle this, Sincerity is No Substitute for Truth. Exodus 32, verses 1 through 6. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast unto the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Father, bring us to Mount Sinai even today to hear your law. And in hearing that, to flee to you. Knowing that you have given these things for good reasons and that the fulfillment of them is in Jesus Christ. And even though we have Christ, we look to what is your goodness and to what displeases you. And keeping them before us that we might please you and might not displease you. And we know in Christ we fulfill all these things. Even so, you would have us walk worthy of that calling. Not that we are worthy in and of ourselves, but now that we have the Holy Spirit that we can walk as we ought to. Help us this day. Show us this type, this pattern, this principle, this way to follow you more fully. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Now, if you follow along in this chapter, and you probably know this story of the golden calf. And it is false worship. And in verse 28 of Exodus 32, you see that 3,000 people died in one day. And they were killed as a consequence of that false worship of the golden calf. When people don't do worship in the way God prescribes, it is false worship. But now false worship takes many forms, not just physical images. Indeed, it takes any form that is not formed by the word of God. And sincerity is no substitute for truth. Now, there's a whole chapter here. There's chapters before and chapters after. This is a whole setting here. And the context of Exodus 32 is that people had grown impatient with Moses and with God. Moses had gone up to Mount Sinai to receive the law from God. And eventually, Moses came back down to the people, and he had two stone tablets, which we know 
are the Ten Commandments, written with the finger of God. But what had happened is that Moses was up there for a while, and the people became weary, and they're waiting, and they're growing impatient, and they acted as if Moses wasn't going to come back. Remember what it said in the text? Well, this Moses, and he is the one that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, but we don't even know if he's around anymore. And if Moses did come back, and he did come back, and he had something to see that he couldn't believe. The people had cast off all restraint, and they were doing all sorts of wickedness, and they were knowingly violating God's law. Now, here's the thing. You might think that, wait a minute, he was bringing back down the Ten Commandments. How could they be violating God's law knowingly because they didn't know what God's law was? Hmm. Moses hadn't come back with the Ten Commandments yet. Is that in your mind? Well, the fact is they did know God's law. You see, when Moses came down from the mountain, it wasn't the first time the people had heard God's law. The people already knew what they weren't supposed to do, and yet they did it anyway, and that fact added to their wickedness. And where am I coming from with that? Think about this now. Less than two months earlier, less than two months earlier, before this episode in Exodus 32, Israel heard the voice of God audibly speaking the Ten Commandments to the nation. When Moses was bringing it back down, he was just bringing down the word that had been spoken by God and codified now in the tablets in Exodus 20. When people ask you, where is the Ten Commandments found? It's Exodus 20. This is two months later, not even two months later, and they were already going to town, as it were. Wow. Hmm. Now, in that episode, and you can read about it, Mount Sinai was covered in smoke, and there was thunder and lightning and a loud trumpet sound, and the whole mountain shook. Imagine this audiovisual panorama, and it caused the people to be afraid, and then God's voice comes thundering out of that. They had an incredible experience. People say these days, I want to hear the voice of God, then I will obey. Really? Are you so sure? He's given you his voice in the word of God. How many people hear preaching week after week after week and have these great experiences? Oh, I did this and I fell down and I whatever. I'm not against experience. I want biblically grounded experience that leads to a biblically grounded growth. But here's an example right here that you see right near the beginning of the Bible, receiving the law, and they couldn't even wait two months, and they went all back. And that's what happens when you're not in church. You start thinking those church people ain't too cool. That's what happens when your Bible sits on the shelf. What do they used to say back in the day? This book will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from this book. Do you hear me? So the experience that they had of Exodus 20, there was incredible. It was dramatic, and it caused the people to tremble in fear. And God did this so they would fear him and keep from sin. But this experience alone did not change their hearts. Hmm. Many of the people didn't want this encounter. They felt entitled. Well, they were already God's people. I'm already saved. Yes, 
and they didn't want to be encumbered. They wanted a less demanding God. Oh, my. Hmm. And so what happened is, when it seemed like Moses wasn't going to come back, what did they do? They cast off all restraint. When it seemed like Moses wouldn't come back, the people rebelled. And less than two months, again, the very commandments that God spoke were the very commandments the people broke. And it's the same today. People feel entitled, and they don't want to be encumbered. They want a God who will let them do what they want to do, to live like they want to live. They reason that since they're already saved, they deserve to seek their own desires. Oh, my. But we need God's law. When I say God's law, I mean God's moral law, not the ceremonial, not the civil, not all the rules and regulations about when to do this, when to do this, how to do this, but thou shalt not do this, thou shalt do that. The moral law of God doesn't change. It's based on the character of God. We need God's law. Listen, if you thought, well, it doesn't apply to us today, not for salvation, but we need God's law to guide us into what pleases God and to guard us from what displeases God, to tell us how to do it right and to keep us from doing it wrong. Do you hear me? We need God's law. Hmm. To forget God's law is to forget God. Let that sink in. To forget God's law is to forget God. Not to say we've got to worship on this day and we've got to do this. That's all done away with in Christ. We have freedom now. But the idea of what God's character is, why would that change? When the Bible says, I think it's Hebrews 13, is it 8? Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not. The scripture's not lying, but he didn't have a body, now he has a body. Now that body had blood, now it doesn't have blood, etc. He means his character. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Why? My promise is true. Why? Because I don't change. But people change, and if you don't keep the law in front of them, they will cast off all restraint. This is the example. You want to experience with God? If I could just have this incredible transforming experience, then you transform right back. So I'm just going to go to a church where every, I have some kind of experience every week. A lot of churches do that. Now I'm going to say something controversial. I want a church that's boring. Boring, monotonous, you don't like it, you don't like the music, but you hear the word of God because that's the most important thing. And then that makes all of a sudden the music seems better. All of a sudden the people seem better. All of a sudden, these things are better. Why? Because the truth is being preached, and it resonates with what God has done in your soul. And then, I will glory in my Redeemer. Doesn't sound like an old song. It's not old, by the way. You can sing old songs. You can sing new songs. There's a difference there. It's right here in the beginning of the Bible. The law can't save you. Only Jesus Christ can save you. But the law is good because it drives you to your knees, to your need for Jesus Christ. There was this guy, and his name was uh, Martin Luther. You might have heard of him. And I believe it was Luther that said something like this. Before I was saved, the law was like a battering ram. It was like a beating stick. It was just whipping you down. Bang, bang, bang. Do this. You stink. Blah, blah, blah. But once I became saved, then the law became like a walking stick, helping me along the way. Again, when I say the law, I mean the moral commands of God. 
Not the civil, not the ceremonial, not do this, do that, and all that, but the this is who I am, this is how you will worship me, this is what pleases me, this is what not pleases me. All those types and shadows were leading to Christ, but the character doesn't change. So you need God's law. Why? Because it shows you what pleases God and what displeases God. It guides you into the truth and guards you against error. Do we see that? Can someone say amen? Now think of Exodus 32. Think of this episode and apply this today. And I'll say it in one way and you're going to go, wait a minute, wait a minute, and then I'll explain it a little further. If God's law is not a constant and consistent part of our worship, our experience, people will drift into idolatry. What does that mean? They worship any old way they want to. I like this church because, guess what you are? Oh, boy. Now I got you. You listening? Let me explain myself. I will. No matter what prior experiences you have, I'm not saying I don't care about your experiences. I'm saying they can be irrelevant if they go against the truth of God. Hard preaching makes soft hearts. Soft preaching makes hard hearts. Are you ready? It's not really that hard. It's beautiful once you see it because it protects you and it guides you. Just tell me what to do. And it's not this exact do this, dot this I, cross this T, loop this P. It's have freedom but have the wisdom and discernment to know what it is. Oh, my If the law is not put up there as a standard, people will break the standard. I'm telling you that Proverbs 29, 18, this is what it talks about. It's not talking about a vision-casting leader. When it says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. So people say, see, look, where there's no vision, the King James, the people perish. So if our church is going to move forward, then I've got to be a visionary leader. Yay. It's not what it's saying. The ESV renders it this way correctly. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps, there's the contrast, the law. And you see the example of that right here in Exodus 32. When the law was there and he said they were all fearful, they were going to do it right, it took just two months, the law wasn't there, Moses wasn't there, and poof, what happened? Two million people doing whatever they wanted to do. Yes, and they weren't thinking they were doing bad necessarily, which we're going to get to. Mm. Let me say it this way. If there is no teaching, I just, you know, I've just not been called to preach against sin. You've just not been called to preach. Not for the real God. Let me say it this way. If there is no teaching against sin, then sin will increase. If God's standard is not held up, then there will be no repentance and there will be rebellion. Here again, they saw all this stuff, had this experience. They were fearful. They were in awe. Getting louder in God's voice and all this stuff. What else would you need? A a real change of heart. They heard God. I want to hear God's voice. They heard God's voice. And yet two months later, not even two months later, why? Because the law wasn't there. Oh, my. Scripture gives different accounts of idolatry. Now, sometimes idolatry is clearly the worship of false gods. And that's what we think of. We think it's a totem pole or something like that. But sometimes idolatry is the false worship of the true God. Think about 
Have you ever heard of the high places? You see it in First Kings and Second Kings and other places. We used to sing, going up to the high places, tear the devil's kingdom down. Remember? Anybody? Anybody, please, somebody. You high places. Now, they started out as worship of the true God on the way to Jerusalem because three times a year they had to go up to Jerusalem. So they made little outposts. But those soon became uh, places of false worship for Baal or Baal, you might say, and Asherah poles. They started out good, but they turned to bad. Why? Because false worship, which includes unauthorized worship, leads to more false worship. God calls the people to come to the temple to worship, but people decide to do it their own way. Think about that. I'm out fishing, and I'm worshiping. Oh, whoops. Again, personal worship, amen, hallelujah. Where are God's people on Sunday? Yeah. I mean, you're sick, you can't make it, something's happened. I get it, I get it. But you just don't feel like it today. What if God said that? We're going to save this person, this person, nah, I don't feel like it. Nah, let's go to the, nah, I don't feel like it. We need to hear this. You need to hear it. Worship of false God and false worship of the true God are both false forms of worship. It's not a cafeteria. The Bible's clearest example of how those things intermingle and seem to be one thing and they're the other, but they're still false is the Bible's most famous example of idolatry, and it is this example of the golden calf. Now, Exodus 32 looks pretty straightforward, like it's the worship of a false god. Verse 1, again, we'll read it. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up! That's kind of irreverent. Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. But there's more to this story than the obvious worship of a false god. Notice that Aaron didn't call the golden calf by the name of another god. He didn't call it Chemosh or Malek or Baal. He called it by the divine name, Yahweh. Verses 4 and 5 in Exodus 32 says this, And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel. See that? Who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before us. And Aaron made a proclamation, said, Tomorrow shall be a feast not to Baal, not to Malak, not to Chemosh, not to Milcom, but to Yahweh, Adonai, the Lord. So the scene's about worshiping false gods and attempting to worship the true God, albeit falsely. The people had an incredible audiovisual experience. They heard the very voice of God. They've been given the law, but they wanted something more, something new. And Aaron invokes the divine name and consecrate a feast to this image. So despite Aaron calling it holy, their new worship was idolatry. Despite it being labeled as the worship of Yahweh, God said it was something else. And you think, well, we wouldn't do that today. Are you sure? We may not make a golden calf, but we chase golden calves all over the place. And you see what this descends into. You see what false theology leads to. It leads to false behavior. The people abandoned faithfulness to God. Exodus 32, verse 6, And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. They went to church. They gave their tithes. They said their prayers. And then the people sat down to eat and drink. And that, I'm not saying don't go to Chick-fil-A. Well, it's not open on Sunday, but you get my point. And they rose up to play. And I ain't talking about going to the kayaks. That's fine. I'm talking about debauchery. That's just polite language 
they were all involved in, they're all together, let's say it that way. Everybody was drunk and everybody was, mm hmm Do we get it? Somebody say amen, right? They rose up to play. They partied. Here come some statements. Are we ready? Exodus 32 makes it clear that your intentions don't matter. I wish I could just put it there. Dot. Period. Just so you can be mad at me. Your intentions don't matter when your worship isn't obedient to the clear instruction of God's word. But your heart was right. It doesn't matter. I mean, you might think that I'm coming after you with a pistol, and so you grab a pickaxe and come after me. And then you split my head wide open, and I didn't have a, a, I had a piece of gum I was going to give you. Who's going to get in trouble? Mr. Pickaxe. Sometimes I think my examples are just going too fast for you. But, and then you hear part of this, and that's why you can't do, you, you can't do sound bites and all that, because here I am talking about pickaxe and splitting someone's head wide open and, and talking about God. Well, there you go. But my heart was right. But I'm not trying to beat down feelings and emotions. They're good. They're good. But if they're not driven, they're not supposed to drive you. You're supposed to drive them. They're not guides. They're gauges. But people live their life this way. I'm guilty of that. You're guilty of that. We all do that. We've got to work. Ah, worship our way out of that. Not what makes us feel good, but what makes us do good. Think good. Hmm. The problem isn't our behavior, the problem is our belief. And then that leads to the behavior. But when we, we're driven by the feelings, sometimes we'll get it, sometimes we won't. Oh my. I lost nine pounds and got my blood sugar to well over under 100 every single day. Why? Because if it was at 200, they weren't going to operate, and I wanted my new eyes. Sometimes we need that light to come on. Sometimes we need a goal in front of us. Sometimes we need the whip behind us. Yeah. You see, we, com let me say it again, your intentions don't matter. I mean, they matter, but not when your worship isn't obedient to the clear instruction of God's word. Now, if you didn't know it and all that, but these people knew it. They had heard it better than anybody's ever heard it. And yet they did this anyway in just less than a couple of months. I'm going to take a month off church. Don't do it. I'm going to take a month off reading the Bible. Don't do it. Why? You see why. I'm not going to worship a calf. You can worship NASCAR. I mean, I watch it every Sunday. Football. You know? Cleaning your house. There's a lot of things. Anybody with me at all? Okay. We commune with God through his revelation to us. Amen? Through the Bible. In the Bible, not our inventions or our intentions or our improvements. Sincerity is no substitute for truth. And we're often not as sincere as we think we are in the first place. Now, the Apostle Paul applies this to us in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 14, which we read this morning. His point is that what happened to the people in the wilderness, like this example here, and he mentions that, is an example for us and a warning for us. The temptations of sinful false worship before a holy God are real. But we don't have to fall into greater sin. Amen. We're vulnerable, but we can be victorious. Amen. If we will take heed and flee from idolatry. Think about that word flee. Let's go back to the pickaxe example. So me and my friend Matthew, when he gets a bump on the head, now he's chasing me with a pickaxe. What do I do? 
suddenly I'm Edwin Moses. You don't remember him anyway. Carl Lewis? Yeah. Jesse Owens. You're running like crazy. Flee means run. Like you're out in the woods. And there's a nine-foot Kodiak bear. And he's coming after you. And then Matthew and I, and Matthew says, I don't have to run faster than the bear. I just have to run faster than you. But what do we both do? We scramble. And if he falls on the ground, I'm trying to be a good Marine and throw him over my thing and, and run or whatever, man, you know. You flee, you run like it's your life, like a monster is chasing you because it is. Idolatry is a monster. And it takes weird forms, and we don't know that it's coming after us. And so God says, keep these things in front of your face. Not so they can make you saved, but because you are saved, and they're like a walking stick now. I remember when I uh, Thunderbolt Dan took us all up into the mountains to do a walk, and Ed and Sue said, you better take this, and it was a big stick. And we did the big stick, and I thought this was so great, and and it was good, and, you know, my little legs, and it you know, kind of pulls you up and do all this. And then, of course, you're coming back down the mountain, and you just swing everybody out of the way. I hate this. <laughs> so that's what people do with the law. Flee from idolatry. If a monster is chasing you, what do you do? You run, right? Oh, hey, doesn't my head look delicious? <laughs> it's like an amoeba. You know, they say, don't go in the stagnant water. Don't go in the stagnant water. Why? Because there's amoebas. But then you can't see it. But then as it gets up in there and it's eating your brain, then you know. Don't be stagnant. Keep that law flowing in your life. Keep God's word. Keep that, that idea of what sin is. So that you, you're preaching yourself against it. Knowing that God has forgiven you, but you keep that thing going so you don't come complacent and you don't discern between the common and the profane. The common, the profane, and the holy. Does anybody, am I making any sense? Flee, because a monster is chasing you. Idolatry includes false worship of the true God. And the Bible says that worship of a God made according to our own taste is exactly that, idolatrous. And that includes includes failing to hold up God's standard, failing to preach against sin, and failing to proclaim the wrath of a holy God in judgment. Well, God is love, yes, but we have a God who defines what love is. And he also defines what we must do to proclaim that love. And part of that is his just judgment of sin. Now, I want to talk about that thing that everybody gets all worked up about. The things that makes their worship right. And I'm talking about sincerity. Of course you want to be sincere. But you want to be sincere about the right thing. Don Quixote If you've never read Cervantes, you need to read that. You need to read Pilgrim's Progress, you need to read Don Quixote, and you need to read your Bible. Bible first. And what did he famously do? Tilt at windmills, right? (laughs) Right? But worthy, and he would tell Sancho, he goes, Sancho, there be demons ahead. There's one now, a giant, and go after it. And he was an idiot. But was he sincere? Yes. Did it make him loopy? Yes. Yes. You think they're not sincere when they go, Allah, with explosives on them? They are. Sincerity is not truth. Where do we find truth? In my heart. In God's word. And you get it written upon your heart. Amen. 
I don't mean to be beating people up. I mean to be building people up. But sometimes to build, you've got to demolish the other building first. Hear that. Again, many Christians, and I understand why, but they have a hard time saying someone is wrong when they mean well. They want to quickly add, but your heart is good, or something like that. But Exodus 32 proves that sincerity is not the same thing as truth. Sincerity is not the same thing as truth. You want both. Aaron was trying to make the calf worship holy. He consecrated a feast to the Lord. And it shows that good intentions are insufficient. The road to hell really is paved with good intentions. Presuming that our sincerity pleases God automatically is wrong. A statue called Yahweh is still just a statue. It isn't God-honoring worship. Why? Because God has not instituted that sort of worship. A wrong view of God is an idolatrous view of God. All of your problems start with a basic misunderstanding, a misconception of who God is. This is why essential to worship is theology. Yes, hallelujah, of course, I went to school and I'm a pastor, so I'm going to say it and you don't like it, but here it is. Theology is essential to worship. Knowing God as he's revealed himself in Scripture determines your ability to truly worship him. Woo! You don't get to commune with God in some alternate way just because it makes you feel good about God. I'm not saying don't feel good about God. I'm not saying you just feel good about God and then that makes it right. It doesn't. It might wind up being right, but do you really want to take the chance? You want to find out first. I just like the music. And it says something that denies the Trinity. Right? Do you get me? I'm not getting enough feedback here. Somebody in the peanut gallery, bring it on. Wow. You don't get to communicate with God in some alternate way just because it makes you feel good about God. You have to come to God in the ways and means he has said you must. Because they, they needed something they could see. And they weren't trying to say it's going to be this, it's going to be that. It's worship of God. We need something. God has given us communion. He's given us baptism, prayer, Bible study, preaching, these things that we can see and hear and experience. To go outside those boundaries is to go into the danger zone. The idolatry zone. You have to come to God in the ways and means that he said he mu- that you must. Doctrine isn't impractical. Steve, on the contrary, our worship depends on doctrine. And if you think you don't need doctrine and that you feel good about God without it, well, the blame is on you. Sincerity is no substitute for truth. Yes, I'm passionate about this. Because I want to see you worship God in truth and not just fall off. And people think, why are they going that way? Because they're not grounded enough. And maybe you were at one time and then you become unmoored and then you do things you wouldn't think you would ever have done. Then two or three years later, what was I thinking chasing this or chasing that? Aha. You see, there is a false worship that calls itself Christianity. It's not the real Christianity. It's a terrible deception. You think you're truly worshiping the true God when in reality you're just in love with your own feelings. People think that if your worship makes you feel good and somehow makes you feel connected, then it must be good. But that isn't necessarily true, ask the Israelites. False worship flows from false theology. 
And false theology is often rooted in a wrong conception of our relationship with God and His purposes for us. And this misconception often happens when we misunderstand what comes after we have made peace with God. I want you to turn to the book of Romans and chapter 5. We've got a little bit of time here. We're doing okay. This is not everything about Romans 5, 1 through 5. I'm relating it to what we're talking to now. Anybody with me? Let me break out my big Bible here. Hallelujah. That thing's like an anchor. Yes. Catch me? What did Ray Lewis say? You feel me? Romans 5, 1 through 5. Let me read it, and then let me just give you an explanation as to how we're looking at it through this lens. Therefore, since we have been justified with faith by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Talking about saved people. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Amen. Jesus is coming back. We've got him. He's got us. Hallelujah. Not only that, uh-oh, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Uh-oh. Knowing that, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Amen. So the Bible makes it clear that peace with God comes through the death of Christ. That's Romans 5.1. And since we have peace with God, we will embrace, enjoy, and endure the sometimes painful process of sanctification, of growing in grace. That's Romans 5, 2 through 4. So we have peace with God. So now we continue in self-denying, God-honoring faith. And that union with God leads to further communion with God. That's Romans 5, 5. The process is part of the true worship of God. You show his worth and his worthiness and his value despite what's going on with you, despite how hard it is, what the process is. You say, this is God. I can do this because I can do all things who strengthens me. And that's a witness to everybody else, to each other. We come to church and we go, man, it was a tough week, but God is good. Man, they still haven't done it, but they're on their way. Yes. And someone else is getting good for them. Praise God, I can see it could be good for me too. Not, well, it must be nice. Don't ever say that around me. Must be nice. Or can't you just? Let's talk. Holiness is your call. Communion with God is the result. Holiness being set apart. They're set apart, and then this process begins, and it often can become painful. But he says this thing gives you hope, and God's Spirit is poured again through your hearts. His love for you, your love for Him. The more you feed on the love of God, the more you have love for God. Worship is deepened by true, properly focused, biblically grounded experience. Say, explain that to me. Romans 5, 1 through 5 just did. But here's the difference. The false worship of the true God teaches that since the peace with God has been settled, we can embrace and enjoy our preeminent goal of self-fulfillment. Faith means that you can pursue whatever earthly power and pleasure you want in the name of Christianity. Happiness is the call. Your divine right. Think about the Israelites and what they were doing, why they thought they could do it. 
And communion with a false god is a result, and the worship of God is corrupted. It manifests itself with success as God's apparent stamp of approval. In this way, so-called Christians get to desire the things of this world while still feeling like they're close to Jesus. It's popular, and the growing echo chamber tells each other they're pleasing God while giving license to continue their own self-interests. Now, in case you didn't believe all that, the Bible has just a little hyphenated word that shows you that it's the exact opposite. Jesus didn't talk about self-pursuit. He talked about what? Self-denial. Imagine following Jesus without having to renounce yourself, (laughs) without having to repent. No wonder it's so popular. This person is Jesus and want for me what I want for myself in the same manner I want it for myself, but with supernatural powers to make it happen. You just got to activate it with your faith or your money or whatever. No, not in this church I realize that, but is it out there? Yes. Do we see it? Yes. Is it popular? Yes. Is it getting more popular? Yes, but by God's grace we'll maybe have make a dent in that. Hmm. Unfortunately, that's just what this false worship is luring so many so-called Christians into. Now, many of the people who fall for this golden calf are well-meaning people. They're passionate about social issues. They're generous with their time and their resources and very involved in their local churches. Amen. But they fall for a theological lie. Theology matters. The era of false worship described as Christianity is this. You heard nothing else, hear this. The Era of false worship disguised as Christianity is this. False worship places humans and their needs at the center instead of God. As for this Moses, we don't even know where he is. Yeah, he brought us out out of Egypt, but we need something now. It feels like God's been silent with me for a couple of months. What am I going to do? I don't read the Ten Commandments. I know the Ten Commandments. Maybe that's what God's waiting to do is work on that inside of you. Then you'll feel different about Oh, yeah. The Israelites became impatient. They needed reassurance. They wanted something more, something new, something they could see, something that resonated with their ideas and feelings. They wanted a God who was in control, but who also could be controlled. They wanted an instrumental faith, a transactional worship. Their worship went outside the boundaries God had set. And so, as a consequence, their behavior followed suit. In the Old Testament, this isn't the only place of the golden calf. took different forms, but there's other times when God's people felt really good about something, but it led to disaster. For example, you guys have heard of the Ichabod example, right? In 1 Samuel 4, they were going to go fight the Philistines, and all the people were so excited about it. They knew God was with them because he said he would be with them, and they were so partying and excited and jumping up and down, it shook the earth and scared the Philistines. They were ready for war, and they went against the Philistines and got slaughtered. And you know what they did? Oh, that's right. That's right. We forgot our pocket Jesus. We forgot to put the ark out in front of us as if that was going to work. So they did that, and what happened? They got slaughtered again, and the ark got taken. And Eli fell back on his chair and died when he saw the sight. And then a baby came out, and they called it Ichabod. The glory has departed. And about 20 years later, after other people were blessed when the ark was near them, they decided to do it the right way. You know, there's another example You know, David wasn't king over the whole kingdom. At first, he was king over one part of the nation, then the other part of the nation. And so then he had a a party, a coronation kind of celebration, where they were going to take the ark and bring it to Jerusalem because he was going to build a house for it. 
And you know what happened? He got all excited. All the people, as all the elders, A-L-L, got excited. And everyone, again, the ground was shaking. Everybody was excited. And David's dancing before the ark, and he's going crazy and all this kind of thing. And the ark kind of shook a little bit. And one of the carriers put their hand on it and died. Everybody was happy. Now everybody was sad. And who were they looking at? David, what did you do? And so he was for three months just absolutely despondent. We did a sermon about this called How to Deal with an Epic Fail. You know, fail with the, yeah. So here he is at his coming out party, and he's shut down. Am I supposed to be the king? See, this is what happens. And somebody steps on your toes, the Lord of the Lord steps on your toes, and you just want to, yeah, you know, okay. Don't do it. Turn to him. And what happened? He found out. He realized we're supposed to carry this on our shoulders, not on a cart. But they got careless. Why? Because they were all excited about They thought, this is what we want. Just because you want to do the right thing, you still got to do it in the right way. But my heart is right. And the Bible tells you, no, it isn't. It develops stuff all the time. It doesn't mean you got to have fear about everything. It means you have to fear God. And there is liberty. There is no New Testament book of Leviticus. We've got... I've said enough there. There's a lot of examples. Everyone's excited. Everyone's in agreement. Everyone is worshipful. But it was wrong and the people suffered. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't feel our worship. I like to feel my worship. I'm saying that this isn't the sign that we're doing it right. God's word is. And not just picking and choosing here and there. What's the whole scope and sweep of the word? And we went to Genesis last week, Exodus this week, next week or the week after. We're going to go to Leviticus. You see it all throughout the Bible about this. False worship where people were sincere. They had zeal. And yet, they didn't follow the way God said. And what happened? Not good. Let's finish up. You know, people talk about God showing up in a meeting. And they... For them, that means people were really into the music and excited about the pastor's message on overcoming your obstacles and achieving your dreams. Now, in that scheme, the sin you're convicted of is not about breaking God's law, but about not exercising your faith. Communion with God isn't about growing in grace and obedience. It's about breaking barriers, fulfilling your desires, gaining emotional well-being, better self-image, relational healing. Now, I'm not saying that stuff's wrong. I'm not saying God doesn't work through those, those avenues. But that teaching reverses the biblical reality. God does work in those areas of personal growth. Amen. But it's about God first. Always the ultimate purpose of loving, serving, and enjoying Him more. And you've heard me say it many times, and I'll say it here on the recording. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. That means when it's good, it's easy to say God is good. When it's bad, God is still good. That's what we're counting on. And He's going to correct us into things and then we'll see the bad differently as a purpose or maybe he'll get rid of it or whatever it may be but would you rather have god's big picture perspective of it or just go in and, and be miserable and not worship right do you hear me emotions are good if they're driven in the right direction they're not guides they're gauges and people might claim that they're elevating God, but you've got to take great care of the content of your worship because idolatry, listen, can feel good, bring unity, and motivate the masses. <laughs> I'm not saying that those things are happening, then it's definitely idolatry, but I'm saying a lot of times, man, 
Especially when you attack, oh boy. When you attach politics or money, a lot of times it, it, it can produce idolatry. It can bring unity. It can feel great and motivate people. And everybody's together. Everybody was together in Ichabod. Everybody was together for Uzzah. Everybody was together. And God will judge us for our false worship. Believing that we're worshiping God when in reality we're only worshiping a God we created. Father. I guess we could take this and, and, make, and beat ourselves up. And think, oh, I've got to follow the feast days and all this, and that's not what we're saying at all. And you know that. Christ is the end of those types and shadows. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone that believes. We're trusting in him alone. And yet we need to speak against sin so that we don't fall into more of it. We need to speak about God's law so we know what pleases him, what pleases you, Lord, and what displeases you. Because we do have freedom, and we are going to heaven, hallelujah, but we don't want to feel entitled and like we don't want to be encumbered. We, we want to yoke up with you, Lord Jesus, and which way are you walking? You're walking the way of the law, just like you did in your life here. And in heaven, Lord, we'll walk perfectly, and we'll be with you at all times knowingly. And that's what we want because it is so hard. We do have the freedom and your burden is light because we can take it and know that we're okay, but we don't just want to worship any old way because, okay, now it's all settled, so now we do what we want to do. No, now it's all settled. Now we can do what you want us to do. Help us to know what that is. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, don't... Besides the ten... And, and think, I've got to do all that. No, not at all. That's not what I'm saying at all. 